Well, good morning. I was getting caught up in a conversation there, and I completely missed here the start. It's good having you. Welcome. This is the day that the Lord hath made. What do we do? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Praise the Lord. Okay, welcome to the chapel at Warren Valley. If you are new here, welcome. There is a sign-up, a welcome center outside the sanctuary to the right when you leave. If you haven't signed up, we have some gift for you, and we'd love to uh, record your attendance with us uh, so you can head out there. If you are um, part of our congregation, if you have prayer requests or anything like that, you can send those to the office. Anna can take care of those, or there is a um, also a form out there on the welcome table. Please fill that out and uh, we'll get those uh, requests out for you. Just a couple of announcements. You have your um, sheet on your um, uh, seat. Uh, young adults, uh, you can reach out uh, to Ashley Thompson for some details on Wednesdays. Pastor Tim has the teen fellowship as well. Uh, Community Blend has a women's Bible studies Fridays from 12 to 2, and this week uh, begins a new series for Grief Share. Uh, it will begin on the 21st this Tuesday at 7 p.m. It's a 13-week cycle, and Fran, I can't remember, I think it goes till the uh, early part of June. Uh, so if you um, have any desire to be part of the Grief Share group, please see Fran. Fran's here somewhere, but I can't find her. So Fran's here somewhere. Oh, she's out at the welcome table, that's why. Okay. Uh, other than that, the prayer request list is pretty long uh, this week. I would encourage you, if you are not on the weekly email, uh, once again, go out to the welcome table and get your weekly email because you'll be able to get a list of all those uh, that are struggling in our congregation. Uh, Bobby Bresney had uh, eye surgery this week, um, and so I don't see him here, um, but uh, hopefully he's healing up from that. Uh, one of our, f is he behind me? Uh, maybe I'm the one that needs the eye surgery, huh? <laughs> um, so there we go. Uh, Donna Gilhouse, uh, a former member here at our church, I think they're living in the Carolinas right now. She uh, is going through a lot of difficulty, uh, some colon issues, and uh, she was scheduled for a surgery on her brain behind, there's a growth behind her eye, so you could keep uh, Donna in prayer. Uh, it, ha it did take place, the, the surgery, four, both surgeries have taken place. Okay, so you can pray for her. You'll update it, great. Um, the dean's uh, son uh, was involved and grandson were involved in an accident this week. So there's a lot of uh, things on the list. Uh, so I'd encourage you to get on the weekly prayer list um, and, uh, and pray. Let me read this passage for you before we begin. From Psalm 111, verses nine and 10. It says this, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His name and his praise endures forever. Now this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we praise you and thank you um, for your kind grace and your mercy. We thank you that you are a God who loves us with an everlasting love. We thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you for the redemption that you have won for us in Christ. Father, we thank you for the covenant. Your covenant is faithful, and it's faithful forever. Lord, there's so many people on this prayer list this morning. I thank you for the being a God who hears our prayers. Father, I pray for uh, Kim's nephew, um, Father, and uh, we pray for Sarah over in the Ukraine. Lord, I continue to pray for Diana Kelly and Gary Hoyt. Uh, Lord, I pray Marty and Island and, and all those that are struggling with cancer right now. Father, there are so many requests that are known that are on our list, and then there's so many requests that are unknown, unspoken right now, but you know them all. So, Father, I thank you for the fact that you're a God who is overall and through all and in all and help us to bring glory, honor, and majesty to your name. I pray that as we worship today, I pray that we would come before your throne, the very throne of God. I pray that we would worship your son. I pray that we would hear from your word this morning as Pastor Tim preaches. Uh, give us ears to hear, hearts to be bent towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Come young. Come young and old from every land, men and women of the faith. Come those with full or empty hands, find the riches of His grace. Over all the world His people sing, shore to shore we hear them call. The truth that Christ through every age is all in all rejoice 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 let every tongue rejoice one heart one voice oh church of christ rejoice 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 let raise a hallelujah and I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief I raise a Yes, it is. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will a hallelujah and I will watch the darkness flee I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery and I raise a hallelujah fear you lost your hold on me
Sing it out to him.
No tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who weighed an end of all. sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me, to look on Him and pardon me. Perfect, spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of one with himself, one with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood, my life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Alleluia. Alleluia. Praise the one risen Son. from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. And it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God has special possessions that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, and we ask you, Lord, that you would take us empty clay vessels, Lord God, and fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. I pray that you would bless Tim and Lord guide him and help him, Lord Father, as he brings forth your word in a powerful way, Lord Father. We thank you. Uh, for your presence here today, Lord God, and thank you for all that you have done in our salvation, which is such a great and mighty salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. And uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin in uh, verse 4. And if you don't mind, I'd also, we can let the children be dismissed for junior church that are going. Um, The other thing I'd like you to do is just stick uh, either the insert that you have or something at Acts chapter 4. Okay, so mark Acts 4. I don't know if you're using your phone, you probably can't multitask on this. So you have to do 1 Peter and then Acts 4, okay? Because I want to read an excerpt from Acts 4 that I think is incredibly helpful and understanding the practical application of this uh, portion of Scripture. So the text that we're looking at this morning moves us from the saving work of God to the ongoing work of God in our lives as believers. This is a text that paints a very uh, powerful and, if you will, stunning picture of the body of Christ. Uh, It tells us that we as believers are part of something that is astonishing and at once amazing. It is a glorious picture of God's house, of God's people. And the theme I want to drive at this morning is as you exist together as the church, be careful to build God's house with great care. Treasure the gift that God has given us in the church. Be a vital part of it. Okay? Don't be a spectator. Get involved with what God is doing, with what God is enabling uh, for his glory. This is a text that relies heavily on the, on the uh, idea of building imagery, okay? It's about, uh, it's about an architect, it's about stones, it's about cornerstones, it's about a structure, something that God is building that is in fact a living temple. So it's a very beautiful portion of scripture. So when I think about building, I've had some exposure in the realm of building. I have a limited set of skills. It's kind of nice because most people think I'm better at building than I actually am, okay? So sometimes what you cause people to think is actually maybe better than the reality, okay? For me, that's the case. I had a pastor friend, his name is Gary Becker, call me about two years ago. And he was in panic mode. I I know that he was retiring as a pastor, which may for some of us cause panic, okay? 
And he was moving into this uh, mother-daughter, I guess this would be daughter-father-mother setup, all right? They were building an addition on the back of their son's house down in Bloomsbury, all right? Coming from Allentown, moving into New Jersey, that is a miraculous feat in itself, right? I like, Gary, why are you moving from Pennsylvania, the alleged promised land, to New Jersey? I said, <laughs> nobody that thinks clearly does that. So I said, you're changing my assessment of your mental capacity, okay? Well, he called me. They started building this addition on the back of a pretty large house. The addition was about 40 by 60. And they, were, they had poured the footers, and they had started laying block for this addition. They were up to about eight courses of cinder block, 12-inch, laid. And Gary calls me in a total panic. He said, we hired this builder, and now we're fairly certain that he is not a builder. <laughs> but we're like into this like 20-some thousand dollars of this project. I, I, he said, can you come down? I said, I said uh, yeah. I mean, if it's terrible, I can probably point out the flaws you know, <laughs> pretty easily. So I get there. When I pull up, I'm looking down the, 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 the left side of, the, of this edition, I'm looking down the wall, and when I get to the corner, I realize that it is, fa it is going fading out at four to five foot up. It's fading out by five inches. At five foot up, we're going to seven to eight feet on the back of this. This was a kind of a basement foundation, right? I, I just, I, I, my heart slumped. I was like, oh my gosh, you, you can't build on that. That is an inadequate foundation. He's like, well, what should I do? And I said, I don't know, but I know, I know a master mason, right? I know Rich Reinhardt, okay? Most of you here know Rich Reinhardt. Where's Rich? There he is, Rich. Raise your hand so we all know. Rich is looking for side work. <laughs> He's really not. He's trying to get away from it. So I called Rich. I said, hey, Rich, are you, what are you doing? He goes, well, what do you need? I said, my friend has a big problem. The foundation is so far off that the structure will become insecure and ineffective. So he comes driving down. He pulls up in the driveway beside my truck. So he's looking down the same edge I was looking at, rolls down the window, and he yells out, third world. <laughs> <laughs> Gary looked at me. He was terrified. I said, Gary, I said, I said, Rich has to tell you what to do. I am no expert, but you don't even need to be an expert to know that this is a mess. This is unsafe. This will be unsteady. It's not a foundation you can build your life upon because that weak foundation would threaten the entire structure. That footer in our modern building terms is crucial and the way those stones are laid bearing symmetry off the first stone is crucial. So the theme of the text that we look at today is Christ verse four, the living stone and then when you get down to verse 6, clearly the living stone that is Jesus is called in the Old Testament the chief corner stone. Okay, he is the, 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 the single stone, the massive stone that creates stability for the entire structure. Okay, and so that idea of a cornerstone is not something we use much today because our buildings aren't built out of stone. But when you build buildings out of stone, you would have to find this particular precious single stone and the placement of that would determine the outcome of everything built upon it. Okay? And so the, in, in the early temple, if you're not familiar with this, when, you remember when the disciples came out of the temple with Jesus and they said to Jesus, look at these massive stones. 
And Jesus says them, not one stone will be left upon another. Right? De- declaring the end of Judaism and the beginning of this new covenant era in which Christ is the cornerstone. God is building something new and the old is going obsolete. In that foundation, there are stones that are upwards of 45 feet long. And if I remember correctly, some of them are 10 to 13 feet high and the depth sometimes is hard to grasp because you can't get way back in there. They estimate that some of those stones, and I'm, I'm on the low side of the numbers I saw, weighed up to 80 tons. Okay, you're talking an ancient world without all the equipment that we have to move things. Stones that weighed twice the weight of one semi-tractor trailer going down Route 78 full. They're 80,000 pounds. There's one stone that they estimate to be 160,000 pounds. A substantial stone, and that kind of stone would typically be quarried by expert uh, quarry people, expert craftsmen, and they would lay that stone, and that stone by its placement would determine the rest of the building. So the cornerstone is a single stone. It's precious to the building as a whole. It, it gives symmetry and it gives stability. The idea of symmetry is this. Everything in that building draws its bearing, its line off of that stone. So you would pull out strings to determine that were straight and that were level and all, all sorts of things, but everything was, was <clears throat> built off of. That stone set the shape, the design, and the direction, the whole building deriving from it. And if that stone was set improperly, the result would be catastrophic, especially with buildings that were dry laid, as most of these were. Most of the ancient buildings were held together by gravity. Because stones, the typical stones in the temple were two to three to four tons apiece. And they were laid upon a cornerstone. The other thing this stone does is it gives stability so that its quality is crucial. It is quarried from the best material and purchased at great cost. It couldn't have fissures. It couldn't have cracks. Because everything was built off of it. Okay, and this text tells us that Christ is the chief cornerstone. Interesting words are used at the beginning of verse four because this text talks about our relationship to Christ. For the early church in a season of struggling, Peter is seeking to let them know that they are built on a solid foundation so that when the storms come, you're secure, okay? And so they're in the midst of storms. That's, this is a church that is in the midst of an assault of suffering and it tends to shake the confidence. This text aims to encourage the heart of believers, of those that have come to Christ. So verse four says this, as you are coming to the living stone, and the the word coming is in the present tense. It is a perpetual trust. It is a perpetual believing in Jesus Christ that is present in the life of these believers. They have found the cornerstone and they continue to rest in him. That is the idea. And so when stones were laid, there was an act of trust. The act of trust was that the cornerstone is secure. It is laid properly. It is stable. It is tested. And you could now begin to build a building on that structure. And that becomes the picture of faith, right? That we come to the cornerstone and we rest upon him as living stones. So there's the large stone and there's smaller stones in this picture. We are the smaller living stones. Christ is the large living stone. Our orientation and relationship to him determines the fact that we are alive. 
Okay, so that gives us the background. Uh, verse four tells us that this living stone that we are coming to has been rejected by humans, but chosen by God and therefore precious to him. Okay, and this becomes fascinating. In general, humanity did not have a favorable view of Jesus. Humanity theoretically rejected the Christ when he came. But to the Father, he becomes the chief cornerstone. He becomes the precious stone because that cornerstone typically was the most valuable, expensive, and tested portion of a building. Okay, and so as Peter begins to talk about Jesus, he's saying he is qualified. You can trust him. Your coming to him is not in vain. It will lead to a stable future. And this is meant to encourage the early church as they came to Jesus, despite being rejected by humans, by God he is chosen and he is precious. He is a trustworthy foundation upon which to build your life. What this text will now do, okay, flowing out of that, that, that introduction to this cornerstone laid and being built upon it, he talks about the identity or the, the new truths about those that are coming to Christ, okay? So we're going to work through four simple pictures this morning that help us to understand our relationship to Christ and the benefit of trusting him and being built together with him. Okay, so the first thought that is given, the first word of encouragement is this. We have, as believers, a new identity. Okay, now, if you know anything about the book we're studying, remember from the first sermon, we talked about the churches that received this letter where there was serious persecution. They were people living on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. They were former pagans, former unbelievers who would come into relationship with Christ and who were continuing to trust Christ, okay? And what he's saying to those that were outsiders, you have a new identity. And that new identity is rooted in promises that God gives in verse five. So here's what he says. You also, that is, you that are coming to Christ, the beginning of verse four, you also, verse five, picks up the same group of people, like living stones, and I just want to make this one connection for you. Christ is the living stone, verse 4, and the believers are living stones. Christ is the foundation of what God is doing, and we become crucial parts of what God is doing. Those, we, we bear the same nature as Christ, and we are being built into the same structure that he is building. However, this is a spiritual structure, a structure that is inhabited by God's very presence. So he says to them, you also, like living stones, are being built together, and watch this, into a spiritual house. Okay, and the idea of a, of a, of a, of a spiritual house is that you are God's temple. You are the place of his dwelling. You are his, and the word household would be, you are God's family that is indwelt and animated by the Spirit of God. Now here's what we know. We know that that indwelling of the Spirit is true of every individual believer because your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. So if you have trusted Christ, God himself has taken up residence in your life. And the idea is that when you are corporately gathered, God is present in a more substantial way. 
Okay, meaning we, when we gather together as the body of Christ, as a house of God, he by his spirit indwells that gathering, energizes that gathering, works through that gathering for our good and for his glory. And so we are God's temple. The temple was the place where God manifested his presence. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. Fascinating statement, right? So the new identity of this people on the outskirts of Rome, facing suffering and persecution, is that you are God's personal treasure. He indwells you, he is invested in you. Powerful thought in a season of affliction. We are in this new identity, a spiritual house, and then he says we are God's priesthood. This is a powerful statement, verse five. We are built into a spiritual house, a place where God lives to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. This becomes very interesting. Not only are we building stones in the structure that God is building, this corporate gathering, but we inside that gathering, all of us have this function as priests. And the idea of being a priest is an interesting thought, isn't it? Certainly one that was involved in assisting people in the manifestation of God's presence. That's clearly part of it. But a priest has something that outsiders don't have, right? In, 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 in churches that have priesthood, there is a strong emphasis on the idea of mediation, okay? Meaning someone goes to God for you. But in the New Testament picture, Peter is bold to proclaim that we are a priesthood, of God, we all have immediate access to the presence of God by virtue of the work of Christ. We're a holy priesthood, that is to say we bear moral likeness. We, we are to live in such a way that we to the world around us are manifesting the presence of God, but we also in that process have this idea of access to God. Interesting thought. The idea of access would be acceptance or approval. That we, wait, can I go in there? Yeah, you're, you're welcome here. You can come into the temple of God because God has caused you to be a representative of his and that gives you access and acceptance. Folks, can I say this? We live in a world that longs for acceptance. And so do you. And, and often this is very subtle. Often we're unaware of how much we long to have access and to be accepted, either by what we have, by our appearance, by our dress, by the phone we hold in our hand, by our talent, by our careers, by our accomplishments, by our, by our possessions, by our cravings. I, 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 I watch people at the gym, right? I go to the gym, you can't tell, but I do, okay? And I watch people craving acceptance. I watch people, I, the, the other day I was on, I'm on, the, I'm on the elliptical thing and I'm going, for I think I did five minutes, right? And I was exhausted. No. I'm doing that and I'm watching this young lady with her camera live streaming her while she's working out. Okay? What are we, what are we doing? We're craving acceptance. My, my most profound recollection of the first time I consciously was seeking approval and acceptance. 
Doug, I don't know if you remember the name Colleen Creighton. Does that ring a bell to you? All right, she was, I, I was 12 years old, okay? So please understand, these are not deep things. <laughs> so after church, I, I grew up in a large church, and there was this girl that I, I felt something for her, right? It, it's ridiculous, but it was true. So after church was over, I would, I would kind of get my eye. This is like creepy, right? I didn't have a phone, so I couldn't videotape her walking around. I, I, I would get my eye on her, and I'd watch where she was going, and I would somehow end up in her path, okay? And all I, what, I was, what was I doing? I was testing to see if I got a smile of acceptance or approval. I was subconsciously craving acceptance, and I was orienting my life around that. We all do that. Folks, listen. It, it's, it's pathetic that at 12 years old, I'm sitting in church waiting for the service to be over, <laughs> thinking, am I going to get a smile? Okay? But I was. I'll admit it. Okay? I just, you know, the first time you feel something and say, look, ah, what was that? That was weird. Okay? <laughs> and then you find yourself acting in weird ways. Okay? Listen, all of our craving acceptance and access is pitiful when we realize that by virtue of our new relationship with Christ, we are a royal, verse, verse, verse 8 and 9 are going to say, we are a royal priesthood. We have ultimate access to the throne of the king of kings. Why do we settle for lesser things? And, and Peter's saying to the early church, you, you're accepted by God. You have immediate access in the midst of your struggle. You can look to him and you can gain his eye instantaneously. It's there for you. And how we crave pitiful things. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore, in light of what Christ has done for us, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Who can come to the throne of grace in a temple? A priest. And we're given by virtue of Christ's work. His priesthood validates ours. It makes us success acceptable and it gives us access to God in our time of need. Imagine that for the early church as they considered their circumstance. And Peter says to them, you are God's chosen priest. You are his royal priesthood. You have access to the king of kings. What are you worried about? Well, the truth is sometimes life is hard. And they need to be reminded. I need to be encouraged by the fact that in Jesus, I have a new identity, an unearned identity, an unmerited identity. I'm made a priest by his grace. And that means when I'm facing struggles, and when I have praise, I can go directly to him and I have access, I have a hearing with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in that setting, what do we do? The text says we are offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through or because of Jesus. Okay, our access is by virtue of his priesthood. By virtue of his access, we come. And when we come, what do we do? We offer acceptable sacrifices. We offer all that pleases God. Why? Because we have been overwhelmed by his grace. And that grace has given us access. And when we contemplate our saving, it, 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 it draws us, it, 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 it attracts us into a place where we find ultimate acceptance. So in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I urge you by the mercies of God to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. On my own? No. Because in Christ I am accepted, I am loved, I am forgiven. 
I am qualified. Come into the presence that I desperately long for and desperately need. And we come offering these sacrifices as priests by the mercy of God. We know that God has freely changed us. And he's invited us. His favor causes us to come. Right? We don't get our act together and then come. We don't earn our way into his presence. He covers us in his son, Jesus Christ. And we come boldly to offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God. What an amazing thought. And it is through our union with Christ. So we have a new identity. Secondly, we have this. We have confidence. Man, one thing long-term struggles will do to you is they will eat away at your confidence. They will dim your hope. They, they, it feels like a weight that you're, just, you're carrying it around and it's just it's destroying that smile on your face. It's, it's stealing your joy. And Paul wants, or Peter wants these people to know that in Christ they have a new relationship. And to show them that, he gives a, a trilogy a triplet of three Old Testament prophecies to show that the one who was forecast has come and it is coming. He has done something amazing for each one of us that should fill us with a a sense of hope and a sense of confidence. Let's look at the first one in verses six and seven. So we come and we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ for in scripture it says. So these three passages give rationale for why we come boldly and offer sacrifices to God. So watch what he says. Verse six. And and by the way, these, these passages are going to give you two distinct responses to the person of Christ. One is trusting, one is rejecting. One is coming, and one is leaving. Okay? I want you to watch that. So first of all, the first response that gives confidence or the response that gives confidence is believing and hope in Christ. Verse six, he says, for in scripture it says, see I, God, lay in Zion. And what is Zion? Zion is Jerusalem. It's the city of God. It's the place where God manifests his glorious presence. And so as Peter writes, he he says, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him, listen to this, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Okay, that's a promise from God. I am laying in Zion a cornerstone and the one who rest on him, that builds on that foundation, it will bring symmetry, sense, and it will bring stability to your life. And the way he says it here is, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And I want you to think about this statement. Believers, verse six, trust in Christ. That's the evidence of of conversion, right? There is this ongoing relationship of faith and trust in Christ that is sustaining us despite the storms around us. And God's promise is the one that believes in Christ will never experience shame. And the word shame literally means something like this, the idea of disappointment or panic. Okay, and that's because they are building on the stone set properly and stable, and that the result of that is that there is for them no shame, 
And then verse seven is interesting. He says, now to the one who believes, and this, by the way, is not an Old Testament quote. Okay, this is Peter's commentary, if you will, on this verse. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe. So there's two different kinds of responses to Christ. One is to rest in him, to trust in him, to feel the draw to him, and by the Spirit to come to faith in him. Our future hope comes from union with his accomplishment, and as a result, we believe in him, and this stone, as a result, is found to be precious. He is a tested foundation for your life, a proven, worthy place of your total rest and trust. And the one who commits to Christ in that kind of a fashion is never put to shame. The second half of verse seven is interesting. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So there's believing and hope, there's rejecting and judgment. I want you to follow this because all of us have to ask ourselves in relationship to God, where do I stand? Am I believing, am I coming to him? Or am I resisting, therefore rejecting the presence of God and the work of his son Jesus Christ in my life? So he quotes from Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So when you ask who are the builders in this text, you'll find that Jesus applies this text directly to the religious establishment of his day. The religious establishment of Jesus' day, despite all their hypocrisy and all their flaws, all their ugliness, they were moral people. Okay, and it's important for us to understand that. Despite all that is said of them, if, you, if they walked into your church, you would assume that they're believers because they're, they're, they bear some sense of morality. They're concerned about law-keeping and obedience, okay? But that crowd of moral people, the leaders of Israel, were by their morality blinded to their actual need Okay, folks, and please understand this. It is possible to be so good that I am by that goodness damned. Because I rest in my righteousness rather than the righteousness of Christ. The foundation of my life is my achievements as opposed to the achievements of Christ. By virtue of being rejected, Jesus is not disqualified as the cornerstone. He still stands as the cornerstone. And then verse 8 goes on to say this. That stone that sits there, placed by God, when it is ignored, what happens? Isaiah 8.14 is what's quoted. It is a stone that causes people to stumble, and it is a rock that makes them fall. It's fascinating, isn't it? That precious, expensive qualified stone all of a sudden becomes a stumbling block. And this is alluded to throughout the New Testament on a number of occasions. In one case, I, I, in my reflect, I didn't get to look it up. There's, there's the idea that the stone that you trip over will fall on you. The idea is a, a total collapse, a total destruction by virtue of rejecting the grace of God that had come to them in Christ. They trip over it, verse 8 says, because they disobey the message. And I, I, I want to read for you that passage from Acts chapter 4 real quick. Because I want you to see how this happened in Peter's experience. So you'll remember in Acts chapter 4 that Peter and James heal a man that was crippled. Right? And the religious establishment 
the moral people are losing their mind because that healing was done on the Sabbath day. Okay, they weren't disputing, was there a bona fide miracle in the name of Christ? That was not the question. The irritation for the moral people. Wait, 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 wait. you did that nice thing on the wrong day. And it was, how dare you? And they, they literally end up threatening in a very deep way the lives of Peter and James. They throw them in prison. And I want you to just listen through this text. In light of this, they rejected the stone, and the stone that they reject is going to judge them. Watch what it says. When Peter and James are called into account, Peter speaks. They say, Peter, on, on what basis do you do such a thing? On the Sabbath day of all days, you broke a law. Peter says, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified. That is the idea who you rejected but God raised from the dead, that is to say he is the one that God approved, this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, but he has become the capstone, the culmination of the work of God. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, Hope despite attack and suffering. They took note and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note. They had been with Jesus. But now by the Holy Spirit, he was within them. They're called in. They're threatened. Despite the cost, they stand. Verses 14 and 16. Watch what it says. It says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, with James and John, or with Peter and James, there was nothing they could say, so they sent them out, and then they amongst themselves said this, what are we going to do with these men? Everybody in Jerusalem, Zion, knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. Folks, here's what I want you to see. They saw a bona fide miracle done in the name of Jesus and turned up their nose to it because it wasn't done on the proper day. Now, what is that? That is spiritual blindness. That is hardness of heart at the deepest level. Folks, think about this. If you knew the man was crippled his whole life and he encounters someone who says to him, in the name of Jesus, the one they rejected, get up and walk, what do you think? that those that saw that in the name of the one they rejected would repent and turn. But what did they do? They do what verse eight says, they disobey the message. They refuse to repent, they are blinded by their morality and are unwilling to walk in and come into relationship with Christ. I was talking about the story of the prodigal son with the teenagers last week. And the truth is, it's the story of two sons, isn't it? That's what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to tell you a story about two sons. Both are separated from their father. One by his morality. And one by his sin. In this context... The older brother is the one that turns up his nose at the cornerstone. He rejects the favor of his father. He rejects the grace of his father. He is irritated by the grace of his father that's shown towards such reckless sinners. And the father comes out and says, son, come in. The one that was lost has been found. We have to celebrate. You know what the text says? It says he refused to go into the house. 
He refused to celebrate the love of a father that would bless and that would grace a broken and depraved person. Man, I'm grateful for that kind of grace. I'm glad for grace that rescues and saves. Folks, I want to say this to you this morning. This, this older brother and these at the time of Christ are not amazed at Christ's love. They're not amazed at the miracles that God is doing. They are instead irritated. They look down their religious nose, aghast, thinking to themselves, I would never do what he did. And their morality, their deficient righteousness blinds them to their actual sin and their need of God's righteousness. And one writer, I think it's Gerstner, called this a damnable goodness. A damnable goodness can keep you from the treasure of Christ. When you hear the truth of your sinfulness and your brokenness and your need for a savior, you turn up your nose because you, by measure, are better than the person sitting beside you. You're appalled by their behavior and you can't see your own need. Folks, that's what happened when Jesus came. The moral religious establishment measured a Christ who loves sinners and said, we will not have him be the foundation of our lives. You must measure up, you must perform, you must adopt our rules and follow them. Orient your life around them, not the cornerstone. And they ended up with an inadequate cornerstone that was fractured and broken and being destroyed. How sad. The text says at the end of verse eight, they stumble because they disobeyed the message of God and to this they were appointed or destined. The idea is that without God's grace, they remain apart from God. And there is in this a stunning sense of sovereignty and mystery. That phrase, to this they were appointed, talks about what, what is coming if I reject the grace of God in Christ. The truth of this text is that the cornerstone is not successfully ignored. God reigns over those that oppose him. He's sovereign over them. But he also reigns over these believers. And in the midst of their struggle, what does he want them to know? That they have believed and because of their belief, they have found stability in the person and resting in the person of Jesus Christ. Folks, if you don't know Christ, the Old Testament, or the Word of God says this, if today you hear his voice, despite your morality, if today you hear his call, don't harden your heart. Don't rest in your morality. And that's, that's how we do it. We, we hear the message of the gospel, but we're blinded by damnable goodness. We are so good that we can't see our need. We can't admit. And so we respond in pride when we're criticized. How dare you judge me? Verse nine. Talks about the new purpose that we as believers have. Our new purpose Verse nine says this, it says, you are a chosen priest, a people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And here's what I want you to focus on. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. So, so we have a new identity, right? And we have a new confidence. But we also have a new purpose in life. 
We live now for a different reason, not to exalt ourselves, not to find access, not to find acceptance. But we live, this text says, to declare the praises of him that called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is another picture of being converted. The call of God came, and and when you responded to that call, when he changed your heart, you responded by trust and faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And this, this declare is an intensive proclamation. It is the word for evangelize in the New Testament. Euangelion, okay? It's a, it's a simple word that talks about the proclamation of a good message. And here the word praises refers to the heroic acts or virtues of a hero. Okay, so think about that. If God has rescued you, you live the rest of your life letting other people know God changed my life. It reminds me of the blind man in the book of John uh, chapter 9, right? Another healing done on the wrong day. Damnable goodness, right? Jesus does a miracle on the Sabbath day. A man is born blind. Jesus heals him. The religious establishment rushes to that man and says, who did this and, and, and what happened? And, and, and they, they pressure him. Why? Because the miracle was done on the wrong day. Folks, do you understand the spiritual blindness? The debate isn't, was there a miracle? The debate is, did he do that on a Sabbath? Right? Because what are they doing? They don't want to trust in Christ. They want to trust in their own righteousness. They feel secure in their own performance. And this text says that we sing the praises, the heroic acts of Christ, the virtues of Christ, the mercies of Christ. And this dear blind man, when he is pressured, I think it's three occasions, they call him in and they interrogate and they pressure him. And he finally looks at him and he says, look, let me say this. I know one thing. Who this man was, I, he didn't even know who he was. That's how gracious this healing was. Probably was unaware of the day of the week, okay? Here's what he says. He says, I know one thing. Once I was blind. And I can see. Now, what you do with someone like that, his, he's like, I, 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 here's my testimony. I was blind. I was in darkness. He brought me into marvelous light. He changed my life. Don't let your goodness blind you to the mercy of God. And realize that it is the mercy of God that causes our repentance. When you see the favor of God, you can become honest about your brokenness, about your shortcomings, about your sin. Right? That's what happened with the prodigal son. He saw his true condition. He remembered what his father was like. And he went home and found a loving father. His coming home did not cause his father to be loving. He came home because he knew his father was loving. Do you see the difference? Otherwise, I end, up, I end up building my life on my own morality, which is a fractured, flawed foundation for my life that will, in the end, leave me disappointed and shamed. But those who trust in him, Christ, are never put to shame. The last thing I want you to look at is verse 10. Really beautiful statement. I have a privileged status. Verse 10 says this. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's what I want you to know this. The ones coming to him, verse four, 
And then at the end of this paragraph are the ones that have received mercy by coming to Christ, okay? So they come to the cornerstone and they find that their eyes are enlightened and that they find that their life is mercied. I don't even know if mercied is a word, okay? But they find that mercy is, it is flowing over them. It is transforming them. It is changing them. The Spirit of God is tuning their heart to sing God's praise. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. It's a Christian song. I don't know who the artist is. I don't know the whole song by any stretch, and I would not torture you by singing it. But it talks about I was a nobody who became somebody. This text draws on the book of Hosea. When Israel rebelled against God, they were not his people. But in the restoration, they become the people of God as an act of God's grace. God is bringing them to himself. Same thing is said of the people of Israel when they're in Egypt, in that house of bondage and slavery. Exodus 9, 5 to 6, and I think this is the text that this builds off of. God says to Israel, if you obey me, if you don't reject me, out of all the nations, you will become my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Folks, do you understand that Peter reaches back into the Old Testament and grabs that promise to Israel. And he says that is for every tongue, tribe, and nation. You understand that? That the promises given to Israel as a nation now find their fulfillment, their locus, their center in the people of God, which is the church. And all of the beautiful promises of the Old Testament that come to the nation of Israel are now transferred. They are brought onto this new temple called the house of God, made of Jew and Gentile. It's a place where outsiders become insiders, where the unacceptable are accepted in the beloved. I want you to think of how that would affect your heart. If you were going through a season of being pummeled, of being persecuted because of your faith in Christ, how, how comforting that text would be. Right? In the midst of all of that, who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a priest of the King of Kings. I am his person. I am accepted. I am valued by God. He is devoted to my success, verse 5 tells me. I am an object of divine affection, even though in the world I may be an object of disdain. That was what was going on with these people. I have a new identity. I don't have a personal declaration. I don't have my truth. And that, that is just such a, a sad and distorted way that people today are, are, are referring to themselves, trying to carve out an identity, trying to be somebody, trying to be accepted. And, and, the, and the, the foundation stones are being tossed away. And the result is tragic. Why do people do it? They want to be somebody. Well, folks, if you know Christ, you are somebody. You don't have to walk around church afterwards to see if someone smiles at you. <laughs> okay? You are somebody. You're built on a solid foundation, so the lines of your house, the structure of your life, are not going askew, threatening the entire structure, because you're built on the cornerstone. 
These are the very real simple applications. Number one, we are a building of many living stones. By God's design, we as the church, each one accepted, but all of us corporately, the work of God. Folks, please regain, recapture the idea that we are family in Christ. And yet, families are messy. Families are broken. Families have problems. But you're still a family. Despite all of that. Don't resist the instrument that God desires to use to change your life. Most of us tend to misunderstand the value of the body of Christ, the temple of God, what he's doing here at the chapel. This is a great vision of the church. People that come together to offer praises to God, to sing of what he has done. Okay, I I, I thought this to myself as an illustration. I thought, what if we came today and and today we were going to sing the praises of Fran Pilch. Okay, Fran will use you as an illustration, okay? And we started singing songs about an individual in this room who is just like you. I bet we could empty the place very quick, not because of Fran, okay? But it, it, it would be so dissonant. It would so miss the mark. But when we sing that about Jesus, there is something about that that is, he is to us precious, He's changed the whole trajectory of my life. He's given me a solid foundation so that when the winds and the waves come, I don't worry. Why? Because of the foundation that I'm built upon. Folks, listen. Weak houses and strong houses in Matthew 7 both face storms. The one with the solid foundation stands at the window of the house looking out and saying, let's see how this works out. Because it's built on a solid foundation. When the troubles of life come and you are far from God or you are disconnected from God or you don't know God, those storms are threatening. They steal all of your joy and they destabilize your life. We are God's building, plural by design. Verse five, verse five says this, you are being built by him. Folks, do you ever just... Let's say you wake up at night. I tend to wake up every night at three o'clock. I don't know why. Sometimes my heart's racing. Sometimes I feel anxious. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed. And you start to pray. You use your access. Right? I was doing that last night. Thinking about people in our church family, that I have a response that we each have, because we're living stones being built together by God, praying for people in unique needs, asking for God's favor and grace. And often you find that that sense of it's weird to wake up with your heart racing, because I think, is this the big one? (laughs) I lay there and I say to myself, I don't feel any pressure in my chest. My arms aren't tingling. I mean, it might be asleep and tingling, but it's not that kind. Like, I, I have that happen. It sounds like, God, why is my heart racing? Was I, dream, was I dreaming something that troubled me? I need, to, I need to recenter my heart and I wake up like that and say, God, I need you. I need you. And I can go to him because I'm accepted because of Christ. Trust him. He is devoted to your progress. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said this to us. I will build my church 
I will take living stones and then build them around the living stone. And by virtue of their relationship to the living stone, they have resurrection hope after their struggle. Folks, this text lays out a pattern. It is that Christ struggled and then was raised. He is the living stone. And we struggle. And then we are raised. Don't be surprised by the suffering that you're going through. Rest on a solid foundation. And if you don't know Christ, my my encouragement to you this morning is begin to build your life by coming to Jesus. Come, and if you don't know him, if 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 you say this morning, Timmy, you know that idea of damnable goodness? That might be me. I am so bent on doing good things that I have never genuinely acknowledged my sin to Christ. And I've never been converted. I've never been forgiven. I have a deficient righteousness that always leaves me unstable because that stone will not last. It'll crack, it'll break, it'll shatter. Build your house on the rock of Christ, remembering that storms only trouble those with inadequate foundations. If you're good with God, storms come, but they will not destroy you. They will not take away your hope. In fact, they will affirm your hope. And then you will say, God, thank you for the storm. Because I learned something about you in that circumstance that I, number one, desperately needed to know and could not have learned apart from that circumstance. You have to take away my confidences. You have to take away the things that I tend to rely on so that I only have you. And I realized, how precious. We sing a song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. One cornerstone, all other hopes are sinking sand. Folks, know that, believe it. If you've never trusted Christ, if you say, man, that... I've been too good to see my need for the gospel. Let God break your heart. Let God expose who you really are and show you that in Christ there is a new foundation and you can have a new identity, a new purpose to sing the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Folks, here's one of the things I've learned. We sang that song, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, I'm going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, Hope will arise. We have a new purpose. It is to sing the heroic acts of him intensely to the glory of his name. And when his children see their dad exalted, they say, that's my dad. That's my brother, Jesus Christ. And you glory in those accomplishments and it changes you. So maybe this morning you need to cry out to God. Maybe you'll do that where you're sitting. A number of you have indicated in recent weeks on some of the connection cards, Faith in Christ. Can I ask you to do something today? Would you come up to one of the pastors and say, hey, uh, I trust the Christ. And I want to confess that in the waters of baptism. My new solid rock. Maybe this morning you just need to say to God, I have damnable goodness. 
I've been too good to understand the cross, but today I see my sin. And I see that in rejecting Christ and trusting myself, I have created the greatest act of rebellion. And I want to repent and turn and trust Christ. Feel free to come and talk to us. Father, as we conclude this service, as we sing a song of your greatness and goodness, encourage our hearts. Lord, for the one here this morning wrestling with their personal sense of righteousness and their need of Christ, I pray that today you would allow them to throw off that which is insufficient so that they can have that which is all sufficient through the gift of God in Christ. Lord, thank you that you have built us on a solid rock. Thank you that we can wake up each day, live each day with confidence, with praise, with hope, with a new identity accepted in the beloved with access. Help us, Lord. And bless as we sing this closing song, cement truth in our hearts and change our lives. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again. Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But wholly trust in Jesus' name Christ alone, Christ alone Cornerstone, the weak made strong the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Yes, we do, Lord. Every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the
Trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Sing Christ alone. Christ alone. Sing out to him. Father, thank you that you are our cornerstone. Thank you that you have brought us to yourself and provided us mercy, not anything that we would have deserved on our own, but because of your saving grace and your love for us, you brought us into your adopted family, Father. Thank you for that fact. Thank you for Tim's beautiful message this morning, and I ask, Lord, that you would just really impress it upon us uh, this week, and uh, we thank you for this time and pray that you bless us as we leave. In Christ's name, amen.